0: This morning, our subject is the truth about loving your spouse. Some of you have been here throughout this series, and you know that we've been focusing in on the subject of love for one simple reason. Jesus said that the most important thing was love, to love God and then to love others. And we began with thinking about how to love God, we must, first of all, accept his love for us. And then we began to unfold how it would look to turn that love to the people around us. And this morning, we come to the love that is for many people the very hardest love to give. That is the love that we are called to give for our spouses. Those of you who know me well and know my personal story know that I can speak uniquely from the experience on the one hand of living in a relationship with a spouse that was almost entirely destructive, And not everybody knows what that's like, but only those who've lived through a marriage that is failing and falling apart each and every day knows just how hard that is. And if you've lived through that and you are here, I'm telling you that I'll speak from that perspective in part. But then by God's grace, in a way that I would never have merited and I certainly don't deserve, I also know what it's like to be loved deeply by a good woman who's a great wife. I know that. And that's by God's grace alone. And so I can speak from that experience as well. The experience of having the, the freedom and the gift of loving another person and having them love me in return. And I speak from both. And what I want you to understand this morning from both of those experiences is it is not a sentiment that makes me say it, but it is the truth of who God has chosen to be in Christ, that what God wants for you is for you to love the people around you well. And if you come here this morning and you have a relationship that doesn't feed and build you up, but instead drains you and depletes you, and you think you're alone, you are not alone. What I will tell you from not my own personal experience just in what it is to be married, but from my years as a pastor is one thing I see over and over again is how common it is for people who are married to hide how hard it really is from all of the people around them. And to manage the image of their marriage in the direction of making it look better than it actually is. Do you know that that's true? I'm telling you as a pastor, true. When you go over to someone's house, they are never pretending to be worse off than they actually are, right? They're not there fighting with each other, fussing at each other. And then when you leave say, do you think we made it look like we have issues too, so we made them feel better? No, that's not how it happens. What happens, and it happens especially in churches, is believing that we're supposed to have one kind of relationship, we manage the image and hide. And so I'm not going to ask anyone to expose where they really are here, but I want you all to know that marriage is hard, that to love the person you're with is difficult, okay? And what we'll do this morning is receive some instruction that will help us move in the right direction in that regard. Before we get on that path, I want to address some people who may feel left out. Some of you are not married. I'll ask you to listen for the future in case you do get married. And I mean that. Uh, Listen so that your expectations and what you hope for are shaped by what you hear, okay? I'll tell you and I'll promise you, the adults around you will will recognize this as well. The way that marriage is often portrayed in the media, in movies, in, in stories and so on, it's not very accurate, and so we want to help shape your expectations. Some of you are here and you're divorced. You used to be married and you're not, okay? For you, would you also listen possibly for the future? Uh, I want you to understand that there's a promise in the gospel that says Jesus makes all things new. I think, do we just sing that? Yeah. Okay, good, yeah, good thing. Uh, that comes from the Bible, that if anyone's in Christ, there's a new creation, And so that means if you're tempted while I speak to listen to the failures that are behind you, either the ones that your spouse had or you personally had, I'm gonna ask you to try your best to let them go and then picture what love might be like in the present or in the future. And then there are some people who are here this morning who are not meant to ever be married. Either uh, you were and you're not anymore and that's your life from now and you're going to be single or you never will be. And that's okay too. Uh, We need you to listen to become someone who thinks about marriage in the right way so you can help those who are married, you can help them out with your wisdom and insight. Has anyone here who's married ever had a good friend come and take you aside and say, listen, I wanna give you some guidance here. I know I'm not in this, but I know what Jesus wants and you're missing in this way. Has anyone else ever had a friend do that? No one has? Let's change that this morning, okay? Can we change that? Okay, good. Uh, I've had some friends do that for me and it's immensely helpful. So you're gonna listen in any one of those three ways. And then one more thing before we start uh, on our actual text, I want to admit that the subject of marriage is so complex and so rich, even in the way the Bible addresses it, that we are barely going to scratch the surface, okay? I'm not gonna give you everything that can be given on this subject. I'm just gonna begin to open the door. And some doors I'm gonna open a little bit and we're not gonna go through them now. Maybe another time we will. But I'm confident that if you would apply yourself to the things we do see, wherever you are in that group that I mentioned, you will see something that will help you love better. And that's what we need. Okay? Our guidance is going to come from a man named Paul. This was an apostle who wrote letters to different church communities. And and we're going to see what he said in in, in the letter to the Ephesian church. And we're only going to take one verse. Okay? Okay? But listen now, before we look at it, here's what I want to tell you about his writing. This was a man who believed the gospel and based on what he believed, he would write to groups of people like us to try to help them see how what he believed about God would look in their everyday lives. He wanted to apply the gospel to their life. Let me be very specific here. By gospel, Paul believed that God did something in Jesus that changed everything for all people even though they didn't know it yet. That is, Jesus came to rescue all sinners from the path that they would tread away from God, which makes their life always harder so he could deliver them and put them onto the path back toward God where life would be good again. You know the difference between those two paths from your own experience, don't you? What Paul wanted to do in his letters was say, hey, God loves you. He's redeemed and rescued you. Jesus loves you more than you can imagine. Now it's time for you to believe that and go in this direction. And he did that in the book, of Ephesians, and he he applied it especially to all different kinds of relationships, including the relationships between husbands and wives. And that's what we're gonna see together, okay? So one one verse of his to this point, and then we're gonna slowly unfold it. Ephesians 5.21 reads like this. And this is his advice. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. I want you to listen to those words again, thinking now of the person that you're married to, if you're married, the person that you're in a relationship with. Listen again. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, you may think this is not enough for one message. Why wouldn't you keep going? After verse 21, in verses 22, all the way down through the end of chapter five, and then on into the next chapter, Paul begins to unfold different kinds of relationships that people will find themselves in, seeking to apply this guidance to three different pairs in particular, okay? Look now, we're going to take the the first part of this passage we're going to take is that phrase, one another. You see it there? Paul means for this guidance to be applied to three different relationships which come next. Okay, first he talks about husbands and wives. Then he talks about fathers and children. And then he talks about masters and slaves. In the environment in which Paul wrote, these would sort of be three of the main relationships that most people in one way or another would have experienced with. And then... Back then, it was quite common for people to have very deep and long-held convictions about how things worked in all three of these relational circles, between husbands and wives, between masters and slaves, between between fathers and children. And to put it quite simply, the expectations of his readers would be these. You ready? In those three pairs, one side always submitted to the other side. In those three pairs, one of each of those pairs was in charge and the other followed. One commanded and the other obeyed. And of course, if you know anything at all about history, you'll know, of course, it was the wife who was to submit It was the child who was to submit and it was the slave who was to submit. That was the environment in which Paul wrote. And if we don't know this, we'll miss the wisdom that is there already in this one single verse for all of us together, one another. Let me tell you how deep the ruts were for this particular understanding of how power worked in Paul's environment. Have you ever heard of Aristotle? Smart or dumb? Help me out here. Smart. He shapes, even to this very day, he shapes our thinking in the most profound way most of us won't even know it. And he wrote 350 years before Paul wrote these words. And listen to what Aristotle wrote about the relationship between men and women. The male is better fitted to command than the female because the male is by nature superior and the female inferior. The male, the ruler, and the female, the subject. I hear a few gasps I'm not sure I need to take a vote on how many of us like this. But you know that in Paul's day, that was a given. That's how everybody thought it went. Men were superior, women were inferior. And so when it came to guidance on how to be in relationship, it would have been a given given that any guidance that you are offering for relationships should, of course, take into account that the woman does nothing but subjecting herself to the male who is superior. That was the cultural environment in which Paul wrote. Do you think that we've gotten fully away from this in the 21st century? (laughs) That child doesn't. (laughs) Do, Do you know what I'm saying? As much as we'd like to be away from this, don't you still see patterns of behavior that make it seem like this is how it still should be? Well, listen, you might think, well, obviously everybody who was religious in Paul's time disagreed with Aristotle. Absolutely not. There were rabbis who were teaching when Jesus taught. Uh, rabbis who were writing when Paul wrote who simply shared Aristotle's opinion through and through. Uh, this is, uh, these are the words of Josephus. He was one of the historians, a Jewish historian who wrote at the same time as Paul. Here's what he wrote. The woman says the law, is in all things inferior to the man. Let her accordingly be submissive, not for her humiliation, but that she may be directed, for the authority has been given by God to the man. And this is what almost everybody in Paul's day believed. And now Paul starts his teaching about the relationship which is appropriate between men and women with this one sentence, which says, not Half of you are subject to the other half of you, but rather be subject to one another. Can you imagine how unbelievably revolutionary that would be in his day to hear that? When everybody expected, slaves, be subject to your masters. Obviously, here, later on, Paul's gonna say, yes, and masters, be ready to be subject to your slaves where everybody believed that children, of course, were to submit to their fathers. Do you know that in Paul's environment, children were the property of their fathers? They could do anything they wanted with them, including kill them, and that would be legally within their rights. But here Paul says, no, you you fathers are also gonna be subject to your children. And, and this is for our subject today, it's not just the wife who is to be subject to the husband, but husbands, be subject to your wives too. There's only one way he can say this. It's because Paul's entire view of humanity is shaped by one person in particular. And he guesses who who that person is who shapes his view of humanity? Jesus. You always guess Jesus when the pastor's like, guess who? It's always right. Because Jesus comes into a world where men and women, people of different races, People of different creeds are ready to judge and dismiss people who aren't like them. Jesus comes into that world and says, not anymore. Not anymore, Jesus says. All of you equally are valuable before God the Father who loves and gives dignity to every one of you. No more systematic oppression, no more shoving people aside because they're not you. Instead, Jesus says, I level the ground because all of you, please listen to this, are equally in need of my grace and mercy whoever you are, and I give it freely to every one of you, just the same. And so now if you're going to be people who follow me, you're going to stand on the same ground before me. And so when Paul comes to teach about men and women, he says, submit to one another. Be subject to one another. That's the text there. And of course, he goes on to unfold what that looks like in particular for the woman with her husband and for the husband with the wife and so on. And that will have to be left for another time. But for this morning, if we're going to learn from Paul, we have to see that he radically changes the expectations that were already articulated hundreds of years before Paul by Aristotle, and then were picked up by religious teachers, and my friends, listen to this, have been carried forward in spite of what Jesus and Paul say by many teachers in the church who have wanted to return back to how it was. But here we must see that the call is if we're going to love each other as we're meant to, husbands and wives are meant to, let's, let's look at this phrase now, to be subject to one another. And so the question is, well, what does that mean? Uh, what does it mean to be subject to another person out of the equality that Jesus has given to all of us? What, what can that mean? Uh, here again, we're, we're in dangerous territory. Uh, after Um, After Paul brought this radical shift uh, in the years that followed and in the the many centuries that followed for the history of the church, many church fathers took this text and turned it back into, it's only women who are to submit, not men to. It it says it here, look, submit. And that's a first hint how this phrase, be subject to, has been taken. Uh, it, It is emphatically important for me to clarify here that Paul does not mean, when he writes, be subject to, obey in the sense that a slave obeys a master who owns the slave or in the way that an inferior defers to a superior subject. That's not what Paul means when he says be subject to. He can't mean that because it's mutual. You see that, right? He does not mean be submissive in the way a person whose will is eliminated or broken submits to a threatening power. The verb in Paul's mouth does not carry any connotation of dominion or domination of one will over another, of the strong over the weak. Unfortunately, Paul's teaching has most definitely been twisted and abused to be used in that kind of way to push down always one side of those three pairs at the, expense or or for the sake of the other. A practice which completely misses the point of Paul's teaching in the verses that follow and ignores the strong control that verse 21 is meaning to exert over the way all of us are supposed to be in relationship to each other. Can you tell I'm fired up? I'm talking a little faster, aren't I? Let me put the brakes on. Let me tell you, here's why this matters, okay? I'm going to share a story that is repeated sadly all over the place. When I finished seminary, I got a, uh, a call from someone that I knew in high school, KG. She uh, was a friend back then. I had heard after high school, she became a Christian. I was glad to hear that. I was off first at university and then at seminary. She heard that I'd become a pastor and she wanted to reconnect because she had some serious questions about God. She'd become married to a man who was a youth pastor where they both went to church when she came into the coffee shop, I noticed right away that she had a cast on her right arm and she looked very sad. She sat down at the table. She pointed at her arm and said, you see this? My husband did this. He has a problem with drinking and a problem with anger. And I wish this was the first time he hit me, but it's not. It's been going on every single month of the five years that we've been married I've gone to the pastor at the church where where he works over and over about this. I finally told him, I'm done, I'm leaving him because he's he's an abusive husband and I need to get away from him. The pastor at the church told me that God says that the husband is the head of the wife and therefore I am to submit to him. And because he's expressed regret, and doesn't want to be divorced, that I'm supposed to stay with him. And if I don't, then I'm disobeying God. And then she wanted to know, what do you think about that, Christian? What I think about that is that the only way that could ever be true is if the way that Jesus loved the church was to beat the church up. You hear that? It's the only way that could be true is if you ignore The fact that Jesus tells husbands after, or excuse me, Paul tells husbands after saying you are the head of the wife, he immediately adds in the same way that Jesus is the head of the church. And Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. There has never been a picture of more humble surrender than that. The only way that could be what Paul means by be subject to is if he didn't say in verse 21 what he says, which is you're supposed to be subject to one another. He could never mean that. So if he doesn't mean that, the kind of domineering that either beats up the other person with fists or with words or emotionally beats up. You know, some of you maybe are in relationships that are physically abusive and you need to reach out for help immediately, okay? You need to reach out to someone who's good and trustworthy and say, I need help. Some of you are in relationships where, where the other person is beating you up emotionally. And it's, for you, it's just as painful as it was for KG. You also need help you need to be delivered from this lie that to be subject to another means you let them beat you up. That's not what it means. So what does it mean? And here, if you would set aside those misunderstandings where it's domination or one person commanding and the other obeying and ask what kind of subjection could Paul possibly mean? This man who believed in Jesus and his love, what could he mean? And, and now you're ready, you're ready to learn something that will help you in your marriage, Okay. And I want you to learn something that will help you wherever you are. And if you're not married for, for the future, if that's there for you, if you're a friend so you can help another, what does it mean to be subject to? I want you to try to imagine this, okay? It, it, the Greek is hypotassomai. okay? It's a complex word that is widely used in his environment. But what you need to picture to get it is an appeal to a free and responsible agent that can only be heated voluntarily, never ever forced or coerced, but only accepted freely and intentionally. It's very different from being forced into something, but rather it is a person who has a will and who's able to make a decision and is ready to accept an an invitation to go in a new direction that they are uniquely free to go in. It can never be coerced. That's the first thing about it. What does it mean? What kinds of actions would they embrace if they went in this direction? Again, I want you to imagine your spouse. And now I want you not to imagine them doing this for you, but I want you to picture doing this for them. To be subject to them means to yield. Okay, the opposite of that is is to be stubborn. To be subject to them means to give. Okay, the opposite of that is grasp and take. To be subject to means to surrender, to defer, to wait for them when you're rushing on ahead and they're slower. To be patient when that's difficult and challenging because you're willing to be generous with their deficiencies instead of capitalize on them. It means from a place of strength to determine and to will that you will do for them what is to their benefit, whatever it is to you. That's what it means to be subject to. This is what Paul means to say to husbands and wives, both Wives to husbands, and husbands back to their wives. This is what love looks like for your spouse. The wife to the husband, and the husband to the wife, choosing to give priority to the other, choosing to put the well being of the other before your own well being, choosing to remove yourself from the center of everything where you are so used to always putting yourself. Does anybody else do that here besides me? You put yourself right in the center of everything? Do you? No one's willing to admit it. Gosh, I feel lonely. Setting aside your claims and rights in order to lift and support and affirm and empower the other. The wife for the husband, the husband for the wife. That's what love looks like between spouses. And now I know that one of you or maybe more is thinking, my goodness, how could I possibly do that? Uh, it's, it's my unique calling as a pastor to listen to folks talk about how hard their relationships are with their spouses. I've said this earlier. I'll remind you. It's much more common than you think. If you feel not only a bit empty because of how hard it's been, but also lonely because you think you're the only one, let me deliver you from that illusion. Marriage is hard. There's a few people in here who've been married like four or five months, and they're doing great, and everything's perfect for them. (laughs) Just you watch. (laughs) How can you be subject to them? If you're looking at yourself and do this now in your mind and you're seeing them, I'm I'm sure of it. You're gonna find 10 reasons why it's really hard to do that when you look at them. But Paul's guidance is not just guidance that says, hey, you have to do this with them. It's not just that. You'll notice there's another part of our single verse. It's be subject to one another. Look at it. Out of reverence for Christ. What Paul wants you to do is to invite into your imagination as you picture trying to love your spouse, a third party who also is meant to factor into the work that you know you'll have to do if you're going to love them. Okay, what he means is you can look at them and see how hard it is, but now Paul's saying to you, I want you to look away from them for a moment and look instead to a third party who is there with both of you and it's Jesus. And before you think about how you're gonna love them, before you look on them to think about what challenges will come for you to love them, look at him instead and and fix your attention on him. And can I tell you right now what you see when you look at Jesus is someone who loves you more than you deserve. And you see someone who loves your spouse more than he deserves, more than she deserves. Maybe that's easy for you to believe. But even with all of their faults and failures, Jesus is looking at your spouse and he is so filled up with love for them. And if you are ever gonna love them, you have to look at him and see that first. And then you have to see him look back at you and you have to know that no matter how badly you're doing, because some of you are doing badly, he loves you. And no matter how desperate it seems for you and how impossible the future might seem, he's rooting for you more than you could even root for yourselves. You might think I wouldn't want him to look at our relationship because I'm embarrassed about how badly we're doing. Okay, fine. You can say that, but if he's there looking at you, he is saying, yes, I know how it's going for you and I'm embracing you with my love and I cannot wait for you to receive the, the leadership and the guidance that I alone can give you. I want you to thrive. You have to know that you, your calling is not just to love each other. Remember what Jesus said. We've talked about this in the weeks past. Love one another as, help me here, as I have loved you. Let yourself picture Jesus saying that as you're imagining loving your spouse. He's saying, I know how hard it is, but listen, love that other one as I have loved you. I sometimes think of him saying this, Christian, that's my name in case you don't know who I am. Christian, I know you're not as patient as I want you to be. You still haven't put yourself in her position as much as I want you to. You still have to grow in this way and that way, but Christian, trust me, I love you, and I'm rooting for you, I'm ready to help you. That's the first step. If you would do that, then you will be able to make progress in loving your spouse as you're meant to, which is to be subject to them. To yield, to give, to defer, to wait, to be humble. Look away from them, look at Jesus. Do that and then you'll be ready. By the way, this word here, which says reverence in English, it comes from the Greek word in, in Ephesians 5.21, which is only ever used here in connection with Jesus. It's the word phobos in Greek. You recognize the word phobia? You know what that means in Greek, don't you? What? Fear. fear. If we wanted to, we could make this verse say, fear Jesus, love your spouse. How about that? Uh, you, you should not be afraid that Jesus is gonna do something bad to you. He won't, he already died for you. You should not be afraid that Jesus is gonna change his mind and suddenly become a tyrant in relationship to you. That's not who he is, but you should look at Jesus and think, I am afraid to disappoint this one who loves us both by the way I treat this other person here before me. You should be in earnest to take the love which he has given to you both and reflect it back to that other one. And that should be your deep and abiding desire when you think about that person who's there before you or who one day will be there before you if you're not married now. You should think of Jesus and his relationship to both of you and let your deep awe and reverence govern your way with your spouse. Can you do this? Some of you are thinking, maybe yes. Some of you are thinking, what is he talking about? I'm not sure I could do it. All right, now I'm really going to ask you to put yourself in, in the imagination place. All right? You ready to go there with me? Okay, you're, some of you are not. Yes or no? Yes. Here we are. It's a counseling session. It's me and you and your spouse. We're in my office. All right? Are you there? Yes. Right, just imagine it's old bookshelves, dusty carpet, <laughs> very old books. And now, but listen, now Jesus is in the room with us and so is Paul. And Paul is saying, if you guys are gonna get this right, remember, be subject to one another because of your reverence for this guy. And then he gestures over to Jesus and Jesus is quiet. And he just nods, he's like, yeah. And you're like, oh my gosh, I better get this right. <laughs> and now Christian, me, says to you, all right, let's talk about your relationship, all right? And you can open your eyes now. Think about your relationship for a minute. And I say to you, what's, tell me what's going on. What's making it difficult? all right? And one of you is going to say, all right, I'll start. This guy doesn't do anything but criticize me all the time. I can't stand it. I'm at the end of my rope. He never stops telling me everything's wrong. I can do 100 things right and one thing wrong, and he'll only see the one thing wrong. That's what's wrong with our relationship. Do I have any women in here who can say amen? Right? And then he's like biting. You're sitting there like, oh my gosh. And then You know, yeah, okay, I get it, right, yeah. But do you have any idea how many times I've changed my habits, how many adjustments I've made, and how I come home from work, I work so hard, and all she does is she just nitpicks at me. It's this and that, I never get anything right. She's the one who's so critical about me. That's why we're having such a hard time. Now, I'm like this, and I'm trying to think, oh my gosh, what am I gonna say to make this work out? Jesus is just sitting quietly. Paul's like pointing back, be subject to one another. And you can go on, and I guarantee it, you can go on for the entire hour that we're together telling me about how this thing about your partner makes it so unbelievably difficult to be with them. And I wanna tell you right now, please listen, that thing about your partner does make it really hard to be with them, okay? We don't have to pretend. That makes it really hard. That's, that, that's what I might say. But now after I exhaust my wisdom, which is small, G, we all look over at Jesus and now you're gonna, here's Jesus is gonna be our counselor. And this is what it looks like out of reverence to Christ to be subject to one another. We turn and we listen to Jesus and here's what he says. This is Matthew 7, verse three. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye but do not notice the log in your own eye? Now, right now, one of you is thinking, oh my gosh, I hope my spouse is listening because all my spouse ever does is try to take the speck out of my own eye and you are doing exactly that. You see that? So wait and stop thinking about them. Stop thinking about them. That's what Jesus wants. Jesus is giving you this guidance because Jesus loves you. Jesus doesn't want your soul to be ground down by the challenges that you're facing together. He doesn't. If you trust Jesus, you'll know that walking on the path that he leads you on is going to be hard all the time. It is. He said that to his disciples. Mm -hmm. If you follow me, life's gonna be challenging, but it will be a manifestly different kind of challenge than the challenge of walking away from your spouse because I can't just do this anymore and giving up and saying, forget it. If you stay with Jesus... He adds, this is verse four of that same chapter, how can you say to your neighbor, and by the way, your spouse is your closest neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye. And the answer to that is you can't. Because if you have a log in your eye, you can't see clearly enough for the very delicate operation of trying to reach over into someone else's eye and take a small thing out, can you? No, you cannot do it. You Hypocrite! And Jesus doesn't hold any punches here, right? He just called you a hypocrite, okay? And, and by the way, your spouse is receiving the same message, okay? And by the way, you're, I'm, I'm thinking of my own message, and all of us who are honest are thinking about how we do this. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Here is one picture of what it looks like to be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. It means to stop thinking about all the things that your spouse is doing wrong, and instead, be, be willing to look at yourself and say, what am I doing that's contributing to this conflict? How am I behaving in a way that makes it harder? What is it that is, is in my habitual way of talking or being or behaving that is uniquely challenging for the other one? That's where, where we start if we're gonna be reverence to Jesus and subject to one another. It, it's crystal clear, isn't it? Yes, okay, good, it's clear to you. We'll, we'll keep going because it's clear to you. All right, now, now you might say, okay, fine, I'm ready to start looking at myself and see the things that are wrong with me, and you should be, okay? But now, if you're like everyone else I've ever met, the moment you start looking at yourself, you will also see that you have needs that your spouse is not meeting. All of you have this, right? Right? And there's gonna be a voice that comes into your ear and it's gonna say, you know what? You're working hard. They should be doing such and such. She should be more, you know, he really should be more attentive to your needs. And then there's gonna be a party that's gonna to wanna to speak up and you're gonna to wanna to interrupt in, in the conversation and maybe you will. Maybe you'll say, you know what? Look, I, I've gotta say, fine, I, I'll stop looking at myself. But the truth is, I just wish she was more patient with me and can I tell you right now that all of us need our spouses to be more patient with us, right? And that's okay. And then, you, then you'll say, yeah, okay, fine. Well, then it's my turn. I need her to take my, you know, I need her to take my needs more seriously and be more pliable with the, the unique kind of person that I am. I'm trying my best. I need her to believe that. Uh, I need her to, to work more than she has to give me the freedom that I require And now, let's imagine that the room's gotten quiet and now you're both able to express that. By the way, that would be a great thing in front of one another to say what you need, what you need from the other. And it's okay to need that. Now, imagine as we've been able to air our needs uh, and Jesus is there quiet, we all of a sudden realize, I wonder what he's thinking. Here's a second moment where Jesus is gonna show us how to be subject to one another out of reverence for him. Uh, This is in Luke 6, verse 31. Imagine now he looks at us and he says, Do to others as you would have them do to you. Again, do you see the the brilliance and and the simplicity, and and in fact, the perfection of this guidance? That if you want uh, your partner to be more patient with you, then turn that around and say, I'm going to be more patient with her. If you want your spouse to take your needs more seriously, then take his needs more seriously. if you want him to be more considerate and to go out and get you flowers, don't get him flowers unless he likes flowers, <laughs> right? But get him what he likes if you want him to get you what you like. Do you see it? Now here I wanna say that uh, Paul is gonna speak up because he notices a danger, which I want to point out now, which is critical. Remember what Paul says? That you should be subject to one another. And Jesus' guidance, which is great, can become really dangerous if only one of you is going to follow it and the other is going to take advantage of that other one following it. Do you see what I mean? If one person is always going to be saying, what can I do for that other? And the other is only saying, what can I get from them? You could get yourself into a dead end that leads to a broken arm in a coffee shop. And the real question of what should I do next? And I want to urge you again, if you're in that dead end, you must seek help right away. Reach out. Jesus does not want you subjugating yourself to an abuser. You don't need to do that. But what he wants is the mutuality where two of you together are willing to say, all right, let's decide to be subject to one another out of reverence for this gracious Lord Jesus and let's see what happens. And I'm gonna tell you what will happen if you do this. If you consistently pursue this with your spouse, the person that you've been given to love. If you will do this, what you will see is that the love that Jesus has given to you will be reflected to that other and there will grow in the soil of your relationship something profoundly beautiful for you and everyone who touches it. And that's what God wants, for our love for one another to grow in that kind of soil. Now, one last word from Jesus, because now Jesus is wrapping up our counseling session and he's saying, you know, you've done good, but I don't want you just to, to have some new strategies or new behaviors. I want to do something even more to both of you. And it is that I want to give you a new identity. That's how you're really going to be subject to one another. And so Jesus closes up our session with this passage. This is from Matthew 21, verse 26. He says, whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. See, now Jesus has hit it on the head that I want to be a great husband, and she wants to be a great wife, and we want to make some progress. And he tells us, here's the thing you're going to do. You're going to stop looking at yourself as a receiver, and you're going to start looking at at yourself as a servant. And when you will do that, when you'll both do that together, then your love for one another will be the mutual subjection, that will blossom into the brilliant grace-filled light that the world needs and your life will be altogether different with one another. Then you will love one another as I have loved you. And here, Jesus never asks anyone to be a servant for whom he has not already become a servant himself. This is critical. Right after Jesus said this to the disciples that they should be servants of each other, he told them, because, he said this, because I've come to serve you, and give my life as a ransom for you. It is a small thing for Jesus to ask us to serve our spouses in light of the fact that he has served us by giving his own life for us, okay? Can you do this? Can you love in this way? I'm gonna tell you these two things. You absolutely cannot do it unless the love that you pursue grows out of the love that Jesus has for you already. That's step number one. And then here's step number two. I actually don't think anybody can do this without help from other real living people. And so you should reach out to friends. If you have good siblings, reach out to good siblings. You should find the brothers and sisters that God has given you in this church and seek the kind of help that you need to love your spouse well. With God's help, we can and will grow in this way. And so I want to finish by imploring his help for every one of you who is here. Let's pray. God, for the husbands and wives who are in this church, auditorium this afternoon and who have struggled to love each other well and and found the challenges daunting. I pray that for having been here this morning, your word would be like a seed planted in good soil and it would grow hope and it would also offer guidance in the direction of love. I pray that you would empower each and every husband in here and each and every wife in here to be subject to one another in such a way that out of reverence for you, they're able to love each other well. We need to grow as men and women who love each other better and we need your help to do that. And so I implore you to help every man and woman in here. God, I pray that no one would labor having to hide how hard it is from others, but instead every one of us would find the friend or the guide or the leader that we need to reach out to so that our relationship can become healthy for those of us who have strong relationships, would you help us help others? And then God, for every person who's not married in here, would you form our hopes for what might be ahead of us based on this beautiful vision of mutuality that Paul gave us and that Jesus reinforces? God, lastly, I thank you that you in Christ have carried the cross for us so that as you invite us to bear the cross that we will have to bear as we choose to be subject to one another, that we don't have to do it alone, but instead we have your strength empowering us as we walk. We thank you that your love for us gives us what we need to love others. God, would you help us in a new way? Recognize your love and would you make us new in your love even now? I pray that we would surrender everything that's behind us in our marriages, those of us who are married. And, and then would you hear our hearts cry to make us new even this morning. Give us another chance and help us walk in the right way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.